new series, Gospel Giving Living. Uh, and what we're looking at is five ways, maybe six ways, we might even extend the, the series a bit, of how living in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, that changes our lives, how it helps us actually to give into the world and to, to, to really change the world around us. And Matt brought a brilliant word last week on thanksgiving and some really challenging stuff in there. I, think, I don't think anyone could listen to that deep and not feel a little bit, okay, yeah, there's some things we need to really think about and thank God for actually and just, just maybe change our, some of our attitudes. It's a really, really encouraging but challenging word, so please get online and listen to that. Um, and today we're looking at the next part uh, of the series. So last week was Thanksgiving. This week, a different kind of giving. We're looking at forgiving, forgiveness. And forgiveness is, of course, an issue which is right at the heart of Christianity. It's something that has huge power. You know, forgiveness can change people's lives forever. And actually, so can unforgiveness. It is a huge issue for our society, especially actually, I think, and we'll come to this later, it's especially a big issue in Liverpool, in this city that we are, we are living in, that we're ministering to. I think we'll, we'll look at that later, but I think it's a real issue here. And what we're going to do today, I'm going to base the talk around one of Jesus' parables. Um, and if you know, when we talk about a parable, a parable is a story which is told, which, which is e easy to kind of understand as a story, but it will reveal a deeper meaning. And Jesus taught in parables a heck of a lot. He uses parables to sort of strike at the heart of issues, to connect with people, but then reveal a deeper meaning about it. Um, so we're going to read one of them this morning. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, if you've got a Bible or on your phone or whatever, or it's also on the screen if you can read it. We're in Matthew 18, and it's verses 21 to 35. It's the parable of the unmerciful or unforgiving servant. Let me read it to you. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold, all, all that he had, had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he commanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, he said, you wicked servant, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you 
unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's a very powerful and dramatic story, isn't it? This parable. I think it's designed to leave us feeling something, and that is outrage at this unforgiving servant and sympathy for the the other guy who he mistreats and probably admiration for the king. It's pretty clear. It's a pretty open and shut story. But I think when we're looking at forgiveness, the pattern that this parable sets, and actually the, the pattern that Jesus sets in general on forgiveness when he speaks about it, is that there are two elements to forgiveness. There's the forgiveness that we ourselves receive, and there's the forgiveness that we ourselves give. And when we look at forgiveness in the New Testament, look at Jesus' teaching, he always seems to couple those two things together. If you think about the Lord's Prayer, of course, what does it say on forgiveness? Forgive us our sins, forgiveness that we receive, as we forgive those who sin against us, forgiveness that we give. And that's exactly the same in this, par- in this parable. We see a man given forgiveness, and then actually he should be giving forgiveness to someone else but doesn't. Forgiveness is very much, as Jesus teaches it, a two-way street. And it seems to be an expectation from Jesus that our experience of forgiveness for ourselves should very much influence our attitude of forgiveness to others. They're to be understood together. You with me on that? So let's look at forgiveness in the 21st century, in our our current culture. You know, this series is all about receiving the gospel that will change the world around us how we receive the gospel and then give it to change the world. So what is the world's attitude? What's the attitude of the world that we might need to give a new perspective to? Well, I'm going to play a video to you. And before I play this video, I want you to just please put all opinions and political thoughts aside. I'm not interested in this person's political beliefs at this point in time. I purely want to focus on this guy's attitude to to forgiveness. So you might recoil when you see this man on screen, um, but please... Try and put that to one side and just listen to his words on forgiveness. And you said, as a faith form, when asked if you've ever asked forgiveness from God, you said, I'm not sure I have. I just go on and try to do a better job from there. I don't think so. And that surprised some, some well, people. I don't think faith. so. You know, and then I said communion. You think, I go to communion, and that's asking forgiveness. You know, in my For you, that's, act, that's what... Well, it's just a form of asking for forgiveness. Yes, communion. And I go to church a lot. But you're not Protestant. I'm Presbyterian. But you get... The idea of asking for forgiveness, that's not a cent- is that a central tenet for you? Is it, or is that something well, that I, I like to work where I don't really have to ask for I like to do the right thing where I don't have to actually ask for forgiveness. Does that make sense to you? You know, when you don't make such bad things that you don't have to ask for forgiveness. I mean, I'm trying to lead a life where I don't have to ask God for forgiveness. But I'm Protestant. I'm Presbyterian, which a lot of people are surprised to hear. I go to church. The great Norman Vincent Peale was my minister for years. The power of God is just like was fantastic. And so for forgiveness, that, that notion of forgiveness, um, that's not a central... Well, I try not to make mistakes where I have to ask for forgiveness. So, what, so when I'm asked a question like that, it's like, you know, I just like to make a lot of mistakes. So, and I would never ask the detail, but the idea of repentance, is that something that's important to you? I think repenting is terrific. But, I mean, that, but do you feel the need to... If I make a mistake, yeah, I think it's great. But I try not to make mistakes. I mean, why, why do I have to, you know, repent? Why do I have to ask for forgiveness if you're not making mistakes? I work hard. 
I'm an honorable person. I have thousands of people to work for me. I've employed tens of thousands of people over the years. You give millions, Charlie. I give I built the Vietnam Memorial in Lower Manhattan with a small group of people. It's an interesting take. <laughs> Did you catch the heart of what he said there? When he's asked, do you ask God for forgiveness? This is a man who describes himself as a Christian. He says, I like to do the right thing. I try and lead a life where I don't have to ask God for forgiveness. Why do I have to repent and ask for forgiveness if I'm not making mistakes? I work hard. I'm an honorable person. I have thousands of people who work for me. I built the Vietnam War Memorial in Lower Manhattan. How does that resonate? We might, we might scoff at some of Trump's words there. But you know, actually, I think they strike at the heart of how millions and millions of people think in our society. In a nutshell, it's the extension of the old argument. You know, I'm a good person, so God will look after me. I'm not going to admit my own failure. I'm just going to try harder to succeed. And if I try hard enough, and I can, I can be good enough and never need forgiveness. That's what he's essentially saying. It's the old classic line that we've probably heard hundreds of times from, from non-Christian uh, friends of ours. You know, in Trumpian theology, as I'm calling it, if you try hard and you do some good things, then any sin in your life can be overlooked and doesn't need to be forgiven. And that is, I think, how a lot of society views this issue of that our need for forgiveness or not. Do you remember we say there's a two-way street, our need for forgiveness and our need to forgive others. That's how society views our need for forgiveness. Let's look now at, at how we look at our need to forgive others. And this is where I want to talk about Liverpool a little bit. Because actually Liverpool as a city has been singled out, rightly or wrongly, in the media and, and in, in the press, as a city which holds on to its hurt. Are you familiar with that? It's been said by even politicians. Uh, it's a city of, I think Boris Johnson called it a city of mawkish sentimentality. It likes to really hold on to what hurts us. You can agree or disagree with that. But actually, there's some quite high-profile evidence of that sort of attitude creeping in. I've, I've picked two very famous and tragic things to talk about. Hillsborough uh, and, and the murder of, of Rhys Jones. Rhys Jones was a, a, a 10-year-old boy on his way home from football practice one night, and um, he got caught up completely in a crossfire between some rival gangs, a guy on a bike trying to shoot someone from a rival gang, the bullet ricocheted and killed poor Rhys Jones. Look, unbelievably tragic, horrible event. And we know about Hillsborough, the disaster which killed 96 Liverpool fans again, and, and, and we know about the, the huge quest for justice. Why I've picked these two things out is because I think you see headlines regularly. Look at that banner there about Hillsborough. Never forget and never forgive. That's the attitude taken by many of the people affected by the Hillsborough disaster. Look, you know what? We are never going to forgive that hurt. And the reason I picked Reese Jones is because just this week his mum and dad have been on TV uh, promoting a new book uh, all about their, their experience of pain and loss. And the headlines we saw were Reese Jones's father and his mother saying, "We will never ever forgive Reese Jones's killer." And you know what? I don't want to knock that. I don't want to say anything about that. I'm not. I'm not going to cast any judgment on those guys because they have gone through an indescribable pain that I, I have not been through. 
So I'm not going to, I really don't want to hear, you know, I'm not trying to judge these guys. I'm not trying to say anything about how they're feeling. I just want to observe that what culture seems to say, what our society seems to say is, you know what? If you hurt me so much, then I don't have to forgive you. Do you see that? We, set, we seem to set arbitrary lines in our lives where if you cross that line and you hurt me to that extent, then forgiveness is off the table. There is no way that I will ever forgive it. That's what our society seems to say. You don't see these guys getting criticised for this, do you, do you? You don't see people saying, I can't believe Reese Jones' mum and dad said that. Because it's accepted in our society that if you're hurt to that extent, then forgiveness is perfectly fine to be withheld. I'm not saying one thing or the other that. I'm just saying that is where culture's at, where society's at. Do we, do we, are we okay with that? And so we've got this, this, this two-way street, this, this, um, the picture then of, of society's attitude to forgiveness is, number one, I don't need to be forgiven if I try hard to be nice and do good things. And number two, I don't have to forgive people if they hurt me beyond the level to which I can, beyond which I can accept. That's where I think broadly society is at with forgiveness. Okay? So let's look at the Bible. Let's look at what Jesus says about forgiveness. Because I think we'll find it's quite different. We're going to go through this parable. You know, in this parable we've got a servant who is in debt to a king. And he, it says he owes the king 10,000 bags of gold. And just to give a bit of perspective, a bit of context, does anyone know any ideas? Anyone has a, a guess as to how much 10,000 bags of gold back then would be worth today? Anyone? 100 pounds, Josh, any advance? 10 million? A billion, 200? Well, I can reveal it's loads. <laughs> Absolutely flipping loads of money. Okay? <laughs> Listen, I leave no stone unturned in my preparation for these, these preachers. <laughs> Sorry? Loads is a currency. It was the currency of, of Jerusalem at the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, do you know, at the start of this story, it's the king who actually calls out sin, who actually draws to attention to the servant and says, you owe me this money. You owe this debt to me. The servant doesn't think of it of his own accord. It says the king wanted to settle his accounts. It is the king who points out sin. It's important to think about that, actually. It's okay to call sin out. The Bible is quite clear on that, actually, where we see sin, where we see issues that need repentance, it's okay to call them out. Because otherwise, how are people going to learn and change and grow if we don't call them out on it? So that's, you know, just a little aside. But actually, the servant in his response, I think, kind of fits the Trump, Trumpian theology mold. Because he doesn't actually outright request forgiveness, if you read the text. He doesn't actually say, please let me off this debt. Please just take this debt away from me. What he actually says is, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. Can you see how that's like Trump? He's saying, there's something I can do to sort this out. I will do my deed. I will, I will pay it back. I don't need your forgiveness. I, I will just do a good thing, which is to pay the money back, and then we're square, okay? Then I don't need to think about forgiveness anymore. I'll pay it back, and we're sorted, okay? I'm going to try and do the right thing so that I'm not in debt to you anymore. But nevertheless, 
the king's response is to go much, much further than that. Because it says he forgave the debt. He had pity on him and cancelled the debt and let him go. He wipes it completely. The guy doesn't deserve it. He's not earned that right. He's, he's done nothing to, to make the king think any differently of him. But the king says, you know what? Forget it. Forget those 10,000 bags of gold. It's forgiven. Now you would hope that this would be a life-altering moment for this servant. A watershed. Something that would just go, wow, are you, are you kidding me? I owe you all this money and you just wiped it? That is, how, that is amazing. But immediately afterwards, he encounters someone else, another servant, who owes him 100 silver coins. Now, I'm sorry I've not done my calculation on this one, but it's not much money, okay? 100 silver coins compared to 100 bags of gold is a minuscule amount, okay? It's not much at all. Now, to model the same mercy that he's just been shown would be to say to this guy, look, do you know what? I've just been forgiven like a lifetime of debt. Do you know what? Forget your 100 silver coins. I don't want it back. I, you know, I'm, I'm so touched by what this guy's done for me. I will forgive you your debt. That would be, you know, A star, you know, great response. To be a, a little less forgiven but still on the right track would be to say, okay, you're asking me for patience. I will have patience on you. You can pay the debt back when you're ready. I won't call it in right now. Take your time. I understand. I just asked the same thing of my king. You know, I, I said to him, would you give me a bit of time? He actually gave me more than that. I'm not prepared to give you that time, but uh, to give you more than that, but I will give you the time. Take your time. That would be, you know, a decent response at least. But his actual response, what he actually does is choke the guy and say, give me my money. I want it now. And if you're not going to give me it now, you're going to prison. It's an incredible lack of self-awareness, of grace, of mercy, and a gross act of hypocrisy. And quite understandably, the king, who's just cancelled this guy's debt and then seen him behave like this, is furious. To the extent, actually, he reinstates the debt. He's <laughs> actually... You're going to go to prison until you can pay me back now. I'm not having that attitude. The way you've just behaved is not acceptable. And you have, you've lost my forgiveness. Now, this story is meant to make us feel angry and frustrated at, the, at this unforgiving servant. We're meant to look at him and think, you divvy. What are you playing at? How could you be so stupid, so hypocritical, so blind? But like all of Jesus' parables, the aim is to turn the camera back onto ourselves. Because Jesus says at the start of this story that it's to show us what the kingdom of heaven is like. In other words, it's supposed to reveal to us a picture of what life looks like under God's rule in his kingdom and, and what our part in it is. So what does this parable tell us about our own need for forgiveness? Remember, we've looked at the world's pattern. We've looked at the, the unforgiving servant's pattern of forgiveness, which is to say, oh, if I do the right thing, I don't need it. What does, what does the Bible tell us? What does Jesus tell us that actually is the case with our need for forgiveness? Well, actually, the pattern is that we see our sinfulness completely and undeservedly wiped out by God. But unlike 
Donald Trump or unlike the unforgiving servant, we need to recognize that need for our own forgiveness. And we need to understand that there is a king who forgives us unconditionally. Not because we've tried hard, not because we've earned it, not because we've repaid the debt. We can't. It's not about how much money we give to charity or how many commandments we keep or how many war memorials we build in Lower Manhattan. We're not forgiven because of our deeds. We're forgiven in spite of our deeds. We're forgiven in spite of the thoughts that we have and the jealousy that we hold and the wrong things that we say and think and do. We're forgiven because of a deed that Jesus did. The Bible leaves absolutely no room for doubt. There is not one person who can stand before God and say, I'm a good guy. I don't need your forgiveness. I'm fine, thank you very much. There's no one who can stand there and say that. Because God's standards are perfection. He is sinlessness. He is holy. And we are not. Romans 3, verse 23 tells us very clearly, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, every single one of us, fall short of the glory of God. Now, we've all been wronged by other people too. We've all been hurt. We've all had things done to us and, and, and against us or not done for us that have hurt us too. But do you know what? We've wronged God just as if not more seriously. We've offended and sinned against God far more than any human that we might ever hurt. How? Well, through our own selfish thoughts and actions. We put ourselves first and we put God second best. God's commandments. I mean, when Jesus is asked, what are, what are your two what are the two greatest commandments? What does he say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. And then love each other. Love one another. Instead, who do we love first? Ourselves. Most of the time, we look after ourselves. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. We look after ourselves first. And actually, how do we treat other people? Well, often, not as well as we'd like to be treated ourselves. Not as well as we'd like to be treated ourselves. I'm not saying this to try and single anyone out. We're all in this boat. Me, you, everyone. But this is our status, is that we get it wrong. We miss God's target. We may generally do the right thing. We might look at God's commandments and, and look at some of the extreme ones and think, well, I'm, I'm doing all right. It says don't murder anyone. I've not killed anyone. It says uh, don't steal. I've never gone into a shop and pinched a telly. Matt might have done. I, I haven't. Um... <laughs> I, it says don't commit adultery well I've never had an affair with someone else so I'm doing alright, I'm, I'm keeping the commandments maybe I'm a good person overall but then we neglect to think of all the times that we've lied or coveted or chosen ourselves above God we, we gloss over the fact that even though we might not have physically committed an act of adultery with someone else we've probably done it up here we've probably lusted after someone or, or wanted someone or something else more than we wanted God and more than we wanted our, our own partner. We might never have physically gone into a shop and shoplifted. But have we spent time when we were supposed to be doing paid employment and, and wasted that time or knocked off early or spent time on the internet? Is that not stealing just the same as, as shoplifting? You know, we, we give ourselves an easy ride sometimes. But actually, if, if we really, really went, you know, through the ups and bolts of it, we're all going to fall short. Again, I'm not trying to upset anyone. I'm not trying to offend anyone. 
I'm not trying to point the finger, well, I suppose I am trying to point the finger a bit, but it's just how it is. It is how it is. We, we need to understand our status as people who do not meet God's standards and who need forgiveness. But there's good news. Because once we recognise the scale of our debt to our king, we appreciate all the more the value of the forgiveness that we've been given. Do you hear that? When we understand just how much we have done wrong, when we accept just how sinful we are, it makes us all the more amazed at the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the love that God pours out on us. So yesterday, I don't know if anyone picked up on this, was actually International Pay It Forward Day. Anyone heard of that? I think, did you put it on Facebook, Steve? Sarah did. I don't know if you've heard of that idea of pay it forward. I mean, there's a film, um, I don't know who's in it. Matt, do you know? Nick, Nick Cage or something like that? Something like that. A what? An American, American kid. Thanks, Matt, for narrowing that down. But if you've heard of that idea of pay it forward, it's about, you know, you receive a good deed and then out of that you pay it forward and you, and you give another good deed to someone else. And, that, and, and one good deed just sets off a chain reaction. Pay it forward, pay it forward. You, you know, you do something good for one person, they do something good for another person. And after that, you just create millions of good deeds. And it's kind of like, it's a, a crude analogy, but kind of like the principle that Jesus is outlining here. And it's summed up in Colossians verse th- uh, chapter 3, verse 13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Do you know what? In Jesus, doesn't matter how bad we are. Doesn't matter how many times we've messed up. Doesn't matter which of the ten, ten Commandments we've broken. And how many times and how seriously. Doesn't matter. In Jesus, we are forgiven. We are forgiven. Isn't that amazing? And then we are told with that forgiveness to pay that forward. As we've been forgiven, we are to forgive. Because of what we've received, we can go out into the world and forgive others. And that means no limits, by the way. Jesus places no limits on his forgiveness, does he? He doesn't say, I will forgive you for X, Y, Z, but if you do this one, yeah. His forgiveness is unconditional. It doesn't say, like, like we, we looked at earlier, that if, if you cross a certain line, then that's it, that's your lot. I can't go that far. Jesus died for every wrong thing that we could do, have done, ever, ever will do. Right at the start of this passage, someone who's been serially wronged, in fact, it's Peter, isn't it? Peter says to Jesus, look, how many times, how many times do I have to forgive? You can always hear his teeth grinding. How many times do I have to forgive my brother or sister? Look, seven, is that enough? Can I, I'll go to seven. I'll, I'll, you know, seven. Is that, is that all right? I'll, I can do seven. And Jesus says, try 77. That's not a literal instruction. You forgive them 77 times and then that's it. But he's just trying to say, look, forget seven, try 77. In fact, in another, I think it says 70 times seven in one of the, one of the translations, one of the, one of the versions. Jesus said, you know what? Don't put a number on it. Someone could hurt you again and again and again, and you're still to forgive them because you, you hurt me again and again, and I forgive you. There's no limits in my forgiveness, and so I don't want there to be any limits in your forgiveness. Are you with me? And so I, I put it on this table here, this 
comparison side by side of the world's model and then what I think Jesus' model is. The world's model is in terms of my need forgiveness, then I can try my best and do my best and be good and I'll never need forgiveness. But Jesus' model says, you know what? I am in deep need of forgiveness and Jesus provides that for me. Do you see the difference? It's not about what we do. It's about what he's done. The world's model says of my need to forgive others, do you know what? It's all very nice, but if someone hurts me beyond a certain level, beyond what I deem acceptable, then I don't have to forgive them. There's a limit to how much I have to forgive. I can choose not to forgive. But Jesus' model says, you know what? I've forgiven everything so that you can forgive others the same. You see the difference again? It's challenging, isn't it? It's hard. Let me just go through three points, three quick points as we finish that I think we can take from this. First thing is this. Do you know, forgiving people is flipping hard. Flipping hard. You see that quote there from C.S. Lewis? Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. It's spot on. Forgiveness is really hard. I, I might have oversimplified things this morning. I may, I may have made it sound like forgiveness is really easy. I didn't intend to. It's not easy. It is hard. If you've been wronged, and everyone in here will have been wronged at some point, it is very hard to just let it slide and forgive it, particularly where the person who's wronged you might not be very apologetic, might not actually think they've wronged you. Do you know? It, it's hard, isn't it? I bet, I bet all of us have struggled with that at some point. Do you know what? Actually, the Bible doesn't call us to be doormats. As I said earlier, as the king, I think it was the king who started this whole chain off by, by calling this guy out and saying, you owe me this money. It's okay to call out sin. It's okay to explain to people, actually, you hurt me. I feel like you've wronged me. And I'm, I'm unhappy about it. It's not... This, this call for forgiveness is not, is not a call to just ignore any sin ever and just let people carry on sinning and just, and just walk all over us, okay? We're, we want to challenge, as a church, as a church family, where there's sin in someone's life, where there's wrongdoing, constant wrongdoing, we, we want to challenge that and help that person to get, <laughs> to get right with God. And that, that means sometimes calling people out to repent and saying to someone, I'm, I'm hurt, I think, I think we've got an issue here. Forgiveness doesn't just mean that you, you, you gloss over the sin. And I don't think forgiveness is necessarily always a momentary process. You know, it's very, very hard in an instant to just say, to go from being, I am profoundly hurt by this, to saying, oh, okay, you're forgiven. It's incredibly difficult. I don't think it's something we can just do the, the click of a finger. It's one thing to say it, but it's much harder to actually feel it and mean it and do it. And I think forgiveness, especially forgiveness over something really big that's really hurt, that's really changed our lives, it's a process that can take time and actually that can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the presence of God living in us. You know, without the grace of God and the, the power and the presence of God in us, it's really hard to let go of hurt. It's really hard to forgive when we've been hurt. So don't hear me wrong on that. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying 
that all, everyone here this morning should just instantly let go of every hurt they've ever had and say, oh, that person's fine, I'll forgive them. It's, I, I know it's not that simple. And some of us will be here with all sorts of different hurts and, and, and things that are very difficult to let go of. But I believe God is calling us to try our best to forgive in the power of the Spirit. He's not left us to do this on our own. We've got God's presence in us, ministering to us and helping to change our hearts, to make us, as the Bible says, to make us more Christ-like. We are being slowly but surely made more like Jesus. And Jesus is the forgiving guy. And you know what? We have to remember, as hard as forgiveness is for us, it was flipping half for God as well. Do you know that? Forgiveness was no easy thing. For, in forgiving our sins, it cost God his son. God's own son was murdered brutally for us. He went to the cross willingly for us. That wasn't easy for God. It wasn't easy for Jesus. Jesus cried out on the cross, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you done this? Why have you left me in this place of just death and destruction? This, this isn't easy. I don't like this. But he did it. And not only did he do it, but the book of Romans, Paul says, he did it while we were still sinners. You see, God didn't wait for us to turn around and say, okay, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? He doesn't wait. He sends his son do it for us, to die that death for us. Isn't that amazing? Do you know, whatever you think that forgiveness might cost you, I can assure you it cost God a heck of a lot more. But he was willing and he did it. Because forgiveness is flipping hard. But it can be done and God has done it first. The second thing, do you know, as hard as forgiveness is, unforgiveness and living with unforgiveness is even harder Dad, can you play the next video, please? We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action as Steve Hartman's A Song of America.
What you thinking? Not me. The first thing she said was, look, you don't know me. I don't know you. Let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close. They are close. Clearly, Mary wants Abel to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he has done. Yes, he murdered my son. But the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself. And I'm still going towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness with prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. This explains why Mary can sing her praises next to her audience from one. Steve Austin, CBS News, Minneapolis. It's an incredible story, isn't it? Really incredible story. Someone once said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. It's like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. In fact, like, like the Lady Mary in this video says, unforgiveness is like a cancer that eats you up from the inside out. It is hard to live with unforgiveness. Harder than to try and forgive, I believe. I would say unforgiveness is unhealthy for the heart. Hebrews 12, 15 talks about where grace is lacking, a root of bitterness can spring up from the heart. You know, unforgiveness can prevent a person from moving forward with their life. An inability, inability to let go of the past can create an inability to step into the future. Nelson Mandela said this when he was released from prison. He says, I, as I walk out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I would still be in prison. Do you hear that? If I didn't leave that bitterness and hatred, that, that unforgiveness, that what had happened to him behind, he would still be in prison. I know in this room this morning there will be many of us who are dealing with this issue perhaps you've been hurt by a loved one or mistreated by an employer perhaps you've had a relationship breakdown perhaps you've been hurt by a church maybe even this church and you're struggling to move on and forgive, forgive what's been done to you and you know that what was done to you was wrong and that it was an injustice and you struggle to let that go. And you'll know if that's you. Because as I've been speaking this morning, you'll have been prickling. You'll have been sat there thinking, yeah, that's great, Chris, but do you know what happened to me? Do you know what was done to me? Do you know what that person did? 
or that person said or what happened to me, I, I can't forgive that. It was wrong. They went too far. I struggle with it. I can't do it. In love, I'll ask you these two questions. I'll ask myself these two questions. Do you like that version of yourself? Do you think that those thoughts help to make you a positive, healthy person? Or can you recognise that actually what has grown up is a root of bitterness? Just as Hebrews talks about. Can you see that actually what has, what has come into your heart is actually a root of bitterness, which, which colours how you think and how you feel and how you act because you can't let go? I just ask you that question. Can you see that this morning? And the second question I would ask, and I'd ask myself, is that what if God had taken the same stance with you? What if God had said, you know what? I'm willing to die for some of the stuff, but that thing you did, I'm sorry, it's too much. It was too hard for me. I can't let go, and I'm not going to forgive you. What if he decided that you didn't deserve it? Well, do you know what? He didn't deserve it. But he did it anyway. He sent his son anyway. His son was murdered for you anyway. To forgive, especially where we've been absolutely wrong, is so hard. But to live with that root of bitterness, to live with unforgiveness in our hearts, it's not a fun life. It's not an easy life. It's painful. It's like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. It's not going to work not going to lead to a happy, fulfilled, healthy life. It's going to lead to that root of bitterness. And I would urge all of us, in the power of the Spirit, to try and make those steps and ask God, God, I can't forgive this person, but will you help me? Will you help me? And I believe God honours that request. He will help you. It won't be overnight. It won't be in an instant. But he will help you. He did. Third thing, forgiveness is hard, unforgiveness is harder. Third thing, forgiveness can change the world. I'm not being overdramatic here. Forgiveness literally changes the world. It sets two people free. It sets the forgiver free and it sets the forgivee free. When forgiveness happens, two people are set free. It's incredibly powerful. You see power in that video there of, of Mary and, and uh, Le, whatever his name was, LaShawn, I think it was. Just the life-changing experience of both of them to say, do you know what? He did an unspeakable thing and that hasn't changed. That past can never be changed. But do you know what? We're not going to let the rest of our lives be affected by that. And as Mary forgives LaShawn, there's freedom for both of them. Do you see that? So it changes both of their lives. And that is what we are called to model to this world. When we talk about gospel, giving, living, what are we to give to this world? It's to give them this model of forgiveness. That is what we are about. Galatians 5, 1 says this, It is for freedom that Christ set us free. That is why we are set free, for freedom. Not just freedom for us, but to bring freedom to others. That's why it's on our, um, our vision. Living free bringing freedom. We're supposed to take what we've been given by God and to bring it to the world around us and the power 
as we do that is incredible. And you know, it's so important. I've talked about Liverpool and why it's important in Liverpool. There's, there's an issue of unforgiveness in Liverpool. But you know what? There's also huge amounts of social issues in Liverpool which could be changed if we just get this forgiveness thing right. What have we talked about? When we've looked at the demographics of Liverpool, what do we see? We've seen poverty. There's huge poverty in Liverpool. Where does poverty come from? Often it comes from debt. Imagine if these debts were forgiven. Imagine if the world saw the Christian view of forgiveness. Say, do you know what? I don't want to collect that money. I don't want to be a loan shark anymore. I don't want to put that poor family under pressure. Imagine the difference that forgiveness would make to thousands of people in debt in Liverpool. What else have we looked at in Liverpool? We've seen Liverpool is one of the highest rates of fatherless households in the country. In one particular area in Liverpool, 65% of homes with a child in do not have a father with them. What's that about? It's about relationship breakdown. How do relationships break down? People hurt each other and they don't forgive. Can you see how forgiveness can change everything? If we can model it, if we can bring it, if we can show people there's a better way to live. It's not easy. It's not an easy way, but it will change your life if we can get it right. And as a church of God, as followers of Jesus, if we can't show it, then who else can? Because we have been forgiven much. We have been forgiven so much. So, so much. We sit here today in grace. We sit here today in relationship with Jesus Christ because he forgave everything. And if we can't demonstrate that to the world around us, then we ain't doing our job right. We're not fulfilling the Great Commission. We're not showing them what's so special about the gospel. It's absolutely pivotal. And as we do it, as we model it, like Mary did, Mary in that video, oh, it's so powerful. So powerful. It can change the world. The expectation from God, it's clear in this passage. At the end of the passage, it's, it's this harsh word. Because the king sees the other guy not forgiving him, and he actually rescinds his forgiveness. He says, if you're not willing to forgive like I've forgiven you, then I'm not going to forgive you. The expectation from God is that we are so touched and thankful for his mercy that we can't help but replicate it. That we can't help but show that same love and mercy to other people. That's the expectation. Forgiven so that we can forgive. Set free for freedom. Forgiveness culture is a huge part of our vision for Freedom Church and for this city. It really is. So I'd ask you this morning, do you accept that challenge? Are you ready to go on a difficult journey? Are you ready to ask God, God, I can't do this, but I know with you I can. Are you ready to set some people free, yourself and other people free through forgiveness? I would encourage you to take some steps on that journey this morning. To say to God humbly, God, I can't do this. I can't forgive that wrong. But will you help me? And I want to do this, God, because you've done it for me. You have saved me from my sins. And I want to do it for someone else. Forgiveness can save marriages. It can wipe debts. It can turn criminals into reformed characters. It can hold churches together. It can help churches to grow. It can transform lives through the gospel. As we look at this issue of gospel giving and living, we are to give forgiveness as we've been giving it ourselves.